to the Lonely Writers Podcast, where we discuss the very real and often overlooked emotional labor that comes with the writing process before, during, and even after the book deal. I'm your host, Eden Boudreau, and today I get the chance to chat with author Caroline Bishop, whose latest novel, The Lost Chapter, is a timeless tale of female friendship and past secrets set in modern day small town England and 1950s finishing school in France. As a British Canadian, Caroline is now living in Switzerland. Thank you so much for joining me today all the way from Switzerland, Caroline. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So this is a really beautiful book. I, I love that, you know, I don't know if this would be, you know, genre or categorized as historical fiction, but I do love, uh, you know, kind of a, a play on not only the two POVs, but the two time you know, uh, presence and being able to see characters who are traveling through these different periods as well. And it was, it's, I mean, I gush over all my guests, let's be honest, but like you have such a beautifully classic storytelling voice that really kind of like draws you in and makes you feel like you're you know, kind of sitting with these characters and really kind of like watching their life experiences. And it is such a beautiful um, kind of just callback to a very classic way of writing that isn't, you know, getting too fancy or too, you know, all the bells and tricks and whistles, just beautiful classic storytelling. And so tell us a little more about the story and where you kind of found inspiration for it. Yeah, I always find this a tricky question because I don't really... Um, I don't plan much and I don't sort of have a eureka moment and know know what the story is going to be and I think it's often a collection <laughs> of ideas so um, the story is, is primarily about an, an older woman and she's 80 a woman called Flo and it's her story really of, of her own coming of age um, back in the 50s and then after that and the way she was helped by the people she met back then in particular one friend that she made at at finishing school in France and then the lessons that she learned from this friend she then applies to help in the present day uh, a younger woman called Alice um, and her mother Uh, and they have a a tricky relationship which which Flo um, you know comes to to help them both sort of find their way back to each other Um, and I think I started uh, thinking about this book because I wanted to write about um, older women because I feel like women of a certain age I mean any you know sort of over over 40 really um, are often dismissed or they don't get enough attention uh, in in books and films um, and also ordinary women not not you know you sort of I don't know classically pretty movie star type woman but just <laughs> yes. regular women doing regular things and I think there's a tendency to sort of dismiss older women um as perhaps not not being not having important things to say and I really feel like they do (laughs) and so I wanted to I wanted to create um firstly this character Flo who um who has had an amazing life but to look at her perhaps initially you wouldn't think so she's she's viewed by the the younger people in the book um at the beginning as 
a sort of mad old cat lady um and there's nothing wrong with that I think I'd quite <laughs> like to be a mad old cat lady oh, when I grow up um, but that that's the sort of view that she doesn't really have much to offer and then gradually you realize that actually she's a talented artist that she's had a really interesting life um that everything hasn't gone smoothly for her but she's you know managed to to come good and to to come to this to a place in her life aged 80 where she's pretty content um and the book is sort of about those struggles um and at the same time i i also wanted to talk about similar similar struggles i suppose with younger people today and also a middle-aged woman so we have alice who is 18 and then carla who is 45 and um i suppose i wanted to look at all those different life stages of a woman uh, and all the issues that women have to deal with in their lives basically no you you and you did so so beautifully I I really uh appreciate that there because I agree with you I think that you know I think we we see it a little more um in like tv and film media where they're trying to you know position our wonderful Helen Mirrens of the world as again kind of like these uh renewals of their careers which I, I almost feel like is a little like patronizing though, because like you said, like just, you know, because we age as women doesn't mean we all of a sudden lose our value and we need kind of like a shiny makeover to make us interesting again or important to society. And, you know, so was it something in your life, you know, you didn't have the aha moment, that's fine. But what do you have relationships in your life, like a, a mother, a grandmother, an aunt that kind of inspired it in that sense that you you felt like you hmm. wanted to pull from that? Yeah, definitely. I, I think a, the main theme of the book is female friendship and um, women friends coming together to help each other and across all the generations. And yeah, I think I've I'm definitely inspired by um all sorts of women in my life friends of my own age but also yes my my mother and my my grandmothers um and aunts and um family friends and yeah I think there's uh, lots of women of all generations who are, are really important to me um and I suppose when I was you know getting into the story that it made me think about that more a bit more and about what have I learned from people um and I think I thank a few of them in the acknowledgements, but for example, my my grandmother, who in a way led a fairly um, traditional life, um, but, you know, in her 80s, she loved traveling and my grandfather didn't really like traveling so much. So she would just go off with her friends and, you know, they, they'd take a plane to Italy or whatever. She, she would she she traveled a lot and, <laughs> and in her own quiet way was, I think, um, you know she was a go-getter she wanted to do what she wanted to do um but she had you know but she also sort of was was in the confines of a quite traditional uh, marriage and she was a stay-at-home um mother and didn't work and things like that so she sort of had this you know traditional um element to her life but she also very much wanted to do her own thing so mm -hmm. yeah I definitely admire that and um yeah my mum has been a, a huge influence on me um I think um, I think perhaps I don't know. I suppose this book, when I was younger, I perhaps didn't recognise all the issues that women have, and it's only as you by issues I just mean I suppose societal, um, you know, things that impact on you to, to do with society, to do with traditional roles of women, and trying to find your place in the mm -hmm. world. And I I maybe didn't 
think enough about those things or didn't really know enough about those things when I was younger and I think growing up that's something that's really preoccupied me and I think that a lot of that is is gone into this book like how how to find your own way in life um how to figure out what you want as opposed to what society wants for you um because even though things have changed a lot and we women have huge freedoms now that we didn't have before I still think it's difficult at, at any age to sort of figure out what you want in life and I think that's um and I perhaps didn't think enough about that about what you know my mum must have gone through and my grandmother must have gone through in a similar way and I think this book is sort of me <laughs> trying to figure that out as you know and figuring out my own path in life as well. No I I completely agree I think you know, like you said, we've come a long way. And I, and, and I almost think sometimes that I think of a lot of the advances in equality for women, sometimes I think of them as like phantom freedoms, because, you know, yes, we're legally <laughs> allowed to do a lot more things now. There is still a very, very distinct set of expectations for women when from the time you were born there is you know there is still people asking little girls how they want their weddings to be or if they want to be a bride when they grow up or you know asking women in high school aged women or college age women you know when they're going to start a family as opposed to when they're going to start a career it, it, it there yeah there really is still this like undercurrent of of expectations for women to choose motherhood you know and, and marriage over whatever they want whatever whether it be like you said like whether it be traveling to Italy with their friends and so talking about you being younger and trying to find who you were let's you know take it back and and talk about your author origin story and where you kind of started and you know did you did you have a moment where you just knew or was it something that came to you later knowing that you wanted to write books and be an author? Um, I can't really remember a moment where I thought I, I really want to write a book, but I feel like it's always been there. Um, I think this is probably quite a common story. I think I've been writing, you know, forever as a kid, I always wrote little stories. I remember once we moved um, as a family, we moved from one town to, to another a couple of hours away. And I wrote this whole big story about how I was leaving my best friend behind and how traumatic this was <laughs> I was probably about 11 <laughs> or something so I think I've always written stories um I've always loved writing I've wrote journals and things like that um and then when it came to career I didn't initially really know what I wanted to do but I I fell into a writing job I was um it was a marketing job but I was I was writing every day um and then I decided I wanted to write features, so I went to journalism school, and and for a while, I, yes, I wrote, I wrote, uh, well, I still do. I'm a freelance um, feature writer, a bit of travel journalism and things like that. Um, and so I always loved writing, and I think I knew I, that one day I would write a book. Um, and I was working in London in a full time job, and I thought, right, I'm going to have a go at this. And so I, um, well, I had a few false starts, and then I managed to complete the manuscript by I would write before work for about an hour and that seemed to get, get me to the end of the first draft um but it was terrible I didn't really know what I was doing I hadn't it's funny I hadn't really thought it sounds really naive but I hadn't really thought that writing was a job that you had to train for I just thought 
I don't know. I guess I just thought you have a go and see what happens. And you can do that. But there is, of course, a lot of craft involved involved in writing a book. And I didn't really have a clue about any of that. Um, so this book was terrible. And it, I tried to get an agent on the back of it, but obviously did not. Um, and so that was shelved. And then I moved to Switzerland in 2013 um, and I turned freelance. I'd previously had a full time job. So I turned freelance and that gave me a bit more freedom to at least um, design my own hours so I could carve out a bit more time for writing. And then I thought, right, I'm going to do this properly this time. So I, I read lots of books on how to write and I did a couple of short courses and took it a bit more seriously. Um, and that's when I wrote my my first book, which is called The Other Daughter, which has come out in the UK uh, already. That was my debut there and it will come out in Canada next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the book when I sort of found my voice a bit more and um yeah and then that that book um got me my lovely agent uh, and then a publishing deal so yeah really exciting <laughs> that is really exciting and i think you make a lovely point there because i think this is something we've talked about before but i know for myself and i've heard from other authors that you know whether it be like yourself, you know, just kind of like sit down and write, see what could happen, you know, or, um, you know, I know for myself, it was a lot of like imitation. I would write what I love to read. I would write in those styles and I would write in those kind of voices because that's what I loved and what I was excited about, but it wasn't, it, it never landed with anyone and I could never figure out why. And I think it is, you know, what you said about finding your voice is once you find like your unique voice and your lens and that narrative cadence that makes you stand out from the rest, that's when like, people always ask like, when is like, what do I do to get a book deal? Like what? I I feel like that's it. And I know that that sucks because it's not a very like, you know, concrete goal that people can grab for, but I really feel like that's when it comes is when we find that distinct voice that an agent or or a publisher or someone can say, oh, this is this has caught my attention. Um, You know, so that's really exciting. We have the lost chapter that's out now in Canada and then your next book is coming or well first book is coming out in Canada next year. That's, that's so exciting. So, you know, tell us a little bit about the process um, because with the last chapter, where did you start writing this kind of during the pandemic? Has this been a long time coming or, or was this, you know, something that kind of, it was like a little brainchild that just came to fruition quite quickly. And, you know, what was that kind of process like? Um, I think it's interesting because um because my my first book in the UK came out in um, in the pandemic in 2021, and I was writing yes, I was writing the lost chapter during that time, but it was my first publishing deal, so I didn't really know how it sh- how things should be normally. Um, so it was a bit I was sort of strange, but also not strange because I suppose I just got on with it. I thought, well, this is this is how it is. Um, my first book was delayed uh, because of the pandemic. The, the publishing publication date was. Um, pushed back so I had an extra six months in the end to write the lost chapter which was the second book in my UK publishing deal um so in a way I had a bit more time and my freelance work took a real nosedive because nobody was commissioning travel writers understandably um yeah and various things just just were not happening so I ended up having a lot of time um which is good and not good I think it um I think I can I can really only write for sort of four hours a day. I think it's really hard. It must be really hard um, to be a full time writer and feel that pressure to to write all day. Um, 
maybe maybe full-time writers don't do that I don't know but um for me I think you know three four hours is sort of my my maximum um but I, at least I had that time so I I just got on with it and everyone had said oh the second the second book is is so much harder to write second book syndrome it's it's terrible to write but um I didn't find that I found I I got a first draft down fairly swiftly um but that's never you know that's always just the beginning for me so I I did you know I don't know three four drafts before I actually sent it to my agent um or anyone but uh yeah, it, it, it wasn't as terrible as I feared it might be. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I think it's uh, I think there's a varied um, I think there was a varied experience with it, as you said. And I think um, I think honestly, as you mentioned, more than anything for most people, it, it was the abundance of time was the problem. Yeah. And I agree that for me and and, you know, I mean, I have the attention span of a goldfish, so it doesn't help. But for me, it really, I, I can't sit down at my desk at 9am and get up at 3pm and have written anything worthwhile. Whereas, you know, if I have 30 minutes before I have to pick up the kids from school or five minutes during dinner while it's cooking, that seems to be these ridiculously productive periods of time. And I think it's because we prioritize. We sit down and we know, okay, I only have 30 minutes. I'm going to do everything I can for 30 minutes. As opposed to when we have these giant chunks of time, it just feels like we have all the time in the world. And then you know, five minutes until you have to go. And, oh, oh crap! I didn't get anything. Yeah. Done. No, I, I agree, and I, it's almost, it's almost. Too, I think it's almost too pressured having lots of time. And actually, um, when I have had other freelance work alongside, or I do some copywriting as well, um, in a way, even though that can be quite stressful because you've got a lot to do in the day, it's it almost helps because I think. Um, your brain is ticking over with your story in the time you're not writing. And sometimes I think the time you're not writing is almost as important as the time you are. And I think there's nothing worse than sitting down at um, your laptop and not knowing what to write. And so I think having that time away from the laptop, even if you're working on something else or whatever you're doing, going shopping, going for a swim, your brain is figuring out what to write the next day. And that I think is how it's I, I managed to get to the end of the draft is by not sort of pressuring myself to sit there for eight hours a day writing, but saying, okay, I'll do what I can now, whether that's an hour, two hours, whatever. Um, and then I'll think about it for the rest of the day. And by the time I come to sit down again, I know what the next scene is going to be. Um, that's, that's about the extent of my planning, <laughs> but it seems to work. <laughs> no, that's great advice. And I, and I think that I, I also kind of subscribe to that, at least for the first draft. I mean, I, I do agree with the button chair method for when we're doing edits and we're getting, you know, drafts published and stuff. I do think it, you have to kind of put in that, that time and, and schedule it and, and be committed to sitting down and doing your edits and things like that. But I do agree for that first draft. Like I, I always keep a notebook on me and I think people think it's because I'm like, Oh, bohemian and I I'm going to be inspired and stuff, but it's not. It's because honestly, I have figured out more plot holes or, or things I was struggling with in stories when I'm going for a drive when I'm out dropping the kids off at school or like, like you said, going to get groceries or in the shower or 3am when I wake up, it, it is like, it's almost like when you allow your brain to turn off 
is when you are, you tap into this, this, this part of your creative mind that is wanting to help you create, but we're just so on that it's almost like it can't, uh, you know, so I completely agree. And, you know, so now, you know, you're still, you're still freelance and, and working on, you know, I'm assuming probably new books coming up soon. Yes, I'm working on another. We'll see if it's oh, published. Oh, wonderful. That's exciting. So now that, you know, you you have kind of transitioned into someone who is not a full-time writer, I don't think any of us are full-time, but obviously, you know, you've got contracts, you've got deals. What does that look like for you, like in regards to, you know, making time for, for friends and for family and, you know, kind of a life outside of of writing, because I, I feel like a lot of our listeners, I feel like they struggle with that kind of balance of either feeling like they're dedicating not enough time to their writing or they're dedicating too much time. They're kind of going into that little hermit hole. Um, how do you kind of balance that, that, that outside life and the creation Mm. portion? Um, yeah, I may not be the best example. I don't know. I do think it's, um, I do think it's, difficult because with with the book side of things it's very unpredictable and you might have um you know a time when you're doing your edits where it's very intense and you have a deadline you have to get it in and then that's done and you don't perhaps know how long it will be till the next stage or um you know so if those things can't coincide with other work that I've got then it can be it can be manic and I in fact you've just caught me when I had this uh, manic time over the winter and up to about um (laughs) end of April May uh, when I was just so busy with both this current book that I'm writing and then um, some other contracts as well. And it just felt so manic. And then um, I've just had three weeks in the UK um, that all, the work finished. So I went to see my family and it was the, the first time since the start of the pandemic or before the pandemic that I've managed to go and um, see lots of friends and family in the UK for a, a decent length of time. So uh, that's been really lovely to switch off. So I don't know. I, I'm not sure a very a very good example of balancing I think I do chunks I'm you know (laughs) quite intense um writing at times and then having a little breather but I think the breather is really necessary and I'm really sort of enjoying having Mm -hmm. a bit of downtime at the moment um having said that I'm sure it won't be long till I'm itching to write again so I'll I don't know try my hand (laughs) at some short stories or something small like that (laughs) of course but I mean I think that's a really realistic answer though because I think that so often we hear kind of these like glossy like you know Oprah 10 ways to like make your day more productive you know answers and and for me I know I struggle with that kind of thing I know I struggle when like you said when you're in the midst of edits and it's just like I have to just do this I have to sit down I have to block off the time I struggle feeling like oh well why can't I just parcel out 30 minutes a day to sit on the deck and read a book and like but for some people it's just that's just not how their mind works or, or, or their process works. And I think that's really relatable, you know, to hear that someone who is published and is successful still kind of struggles with that. And, and it is okay if you have to just kind of hunker down for a month or a few weeks and then, you Mm -hmm. know, and then get that chunk of time, come up for a breather and then, okay, I'm going back down. (laughs) I'll see you in several months. Yes, exactly. I think sometimes it's just hard to plan those chunks of time because like I said, with the schedule with publishing, you don't always know when things are happening. So it could be quite hard. But um, I mean, I'm lucky the most. I, I don't have kids and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty free and easy in that respect. So um, I know I don't know how authors with 
with kids um, manage you know and a full-time job or whatever I, I, I don't know how some people manage I really don't so I I'm I'm luckier than other people in that respect <laughs> I think we're all born jugglers it's uh, I think we're all just we're all designed to figure it out and kind of you know figure out how to juggle it <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about you know kind of I I hate using the term genre because I I don't even feel like genre is a thing anymore. I feel like there is such a beautiful crossing of genres and themes and tropes now. But, you know, the lost chapter has uh, kind of a historical turn to it. And is that something that, you know, it kind of just stems from if you're like myself and you're just a history nerd or was it something that you have had in your previous work where you were doing, you know, research or journalism or writing on kind of history and that kind of inspired, uh, you know, tapping into that portion for the lost chapter. Um, well, I think, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that I set out to be a historical writer. I don't really think of myself as a historical writer. It's more that I just, want to write about things that interest me um, and both the books I've had so far um, have been inspired by um, the history of Switzerland actually uh, even though the lost chapter is set in France but um, it's set in a finishing school and there were finishing schools in France but there were also lots in Switzerland around uh, the area where I live which is Lausanne there were lots of finishing schools uh, it was traditionally where you sort of middle upper class um, British people and, and I think Americans as well would would send um, their children to to get a sort of I don't know final little Swiss uh, flourish <laughs> um, so but and you know often it was about um, preparing these well-to-do women for for uh, marriage and children and and to, to look after the home and things like that um, and I just find this really fascinating I think I've always found it found the idea of that that is women's role is quite, I don't know, quite hard to get my head around. Not that there's anything wrong with that if you want to do that. that like, if I want to make that clear. It's not, it's, but the idea that that all women sort of have to go down that route just has always seemed really alien to me. And here, here you know, are all these schools where that was predominantly um, the idea. So, yeah, I just found that really interesting. And I thought, well, how about writing a story that's set in a finishing school where there's a one student who's um, rebelling against this idea and wants to do things her own way. So that's where it uh, started. And um, there's a school here, which is no longer a finishing school, but it used to be. Um, it's now an international school. And I went to that school to uh, chat to the um, head teacher and about the school's history. And that was really interesting. So I got some good stories about what went on back then. Um, <laughs> and yeah, also did a bit of research into um, there were various books which which fed into my research. One was an etiquette guide from the States. Um, I think it was from about the time of my novel, 1958. And it was just just hilarious, really, reading some of the things that, that women were expected to do um, and how you were meant to dress and... Uh, I don't know how you were meant to not be too assertive in the workplace and you know all these things I just find it quite hilarious um <laughs> uh, yeah and yet you know as we talked about earlier there are still there are still lots of sort of expectations on women now even if they've changed a little so um I feel like I don't really write straight historical novels but I I want to write a novel where the history is sort of informing what's going on in the present and it's um, you know showing how far we've changed or how far we perhaps haven't changed as much as we think we have and 
um, yeah, histor historical books where the history informs the, the present. Mm -hmm. I love that because I, I, what I found really interesting was I think that, um, you know, I think it's flashy to or not flashy, but I, I think it's, you know, kind of sensationalized to do with stories about uh, private schools. We hear a lot about private schools and that kind of, you know, upper elite crust of, you know, children being raised to run the world. Uh, but the finishing school was a really interesting angle because, of course, we've all heard of them. But as you mentioned, it, it, it kind of is that etiquette book culture but taken that step further, it's this, you know, I always kind of think of it as like a, like a thoroughbred program, you know, like they're sending these, you know, their, their thoroughbred children off to be, you know, polished and shined and taught how to walk and prance into a room. And it, it seems like such a bygone era, but it isn't in a in a way and you know when we see media of and again you know i i don't fault anyone who wants to participate in them and i do understand that you know the pageant circuit in the united states is is very powerful and really helpful to a lot of girls to you know come up and and achieve things but there still is this kind of finishing culture around women of you know teaching them how to put appearance before substance and you know for yourself is that something that you know as a woman who is you know we're not 20 anymore and we're not in that beautiful era of you know being able to kind of freely take our time to figure that out do you feel you know does it ever feel like you've found that person and and kind of fallen into who you are and who you were meant to be yeah, I, I, th I do feel like I have now, but I feel like it's taken me a long time. Um, and I think it's interesting looking back. Um, I mean, I grew up in a, you know, a pretty liberal household and my parents were always very encouraging of me and, you know, told me I could do whatever I wanted to do. And so I grew up with that on the one hand. And I think it took me a long time to realise, oh, but hang on. I can't do everything I want to do like you 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 come up against obstacles in the workplace and you you realize that there are other factors at play um so that was yeah and then I think coming coming to the age of you know where friends are getting married and having children and things and um and yeah that just made me think a lot about oh okay but if I have kids then I guess I have to give up work and then why can I not do both but then oh of course it has to be me who gives up work because I earn less and you know things like that that you think oh hang on but I wanted to do everything and now you know and we're in 2022 not not 1960 you know um so that was interesting and I think another element is um although I like as I said I did grow up grow up um, in a liberal household feeling I could do whatever I wanted but I think in you know this was sort of 90s uh, 2000 the noughties culture around us at that time is the narrative was still very much about um, that you must find a partner that you um, you know think of any sort of Hollywood film from that time four weddings and a funeral Notting Hill it's all about finding the one um, and I think I grew up with this narrative in the background, not not told to be my by my parents, but just from culture around me that that was the aim of the game. Um, and I find that just really interesting. That that yeah, I, I think of myself as a 
a modern person. I'm not, you know, I'm not young, but neither am I really old. And yet I did, I do feel like I grew up with this narrative. Um, and as I said, I think if, if you want to go down that route, that's absolutely fine, but it shouldn't be told to everyone that this is the only route. And I think that's, I think I've spent the last sort of 10 years trying to figure that out for myself and then also expressing that through what I write. Wonderful. So I want to encourage, if you have not already picked it up, I want to encourage to our listeners to go out today and pick up a copy of The Lost Chapter by Caroline Bishop. And I want to, you know, again, I always stress, I want our listeners to go to their independent booksellers, wherever they may be. If you don't see a copy, give them a call, tweet them, DM them, email them uh, and request a copy because they they want to put those books in your hands and we want to support our local independent bookstores as much as we can. And uh, thank you so much for chatting with me. Me too. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite show. Thank you again, and until next time, lonely writers, be well.